0: Bye-bye. It's yours.
1: That ain't love, then tell me what is a-
2: To the Levine Writers Show. My name is T Hetzel, and uh, today I'm sitting here with Michael Dickman. Welcome, Michael, to the show. Thanks, T. <laughs> so glad that you're you're here. And um, uh, um, we we just played that song, uh, the the lovely L- Loretta Lynn um, tune with the gin fizz and the Portland, Oregon, as a little bit of um, a, a by an introduction of Michael Dickman, um, chosen by me, not Michael. So no, uh, you're uh, that's where you were born, right? That's right.
3: I grew up in Portland, in southeast Portland.
2: Southeast Portland. And then what was the, the, um, the town where you went to, to high school? It's a little a small. Uh, th-
3: I went to a private. I was lucky enough to go to a, a very small private high school um, just on the edge of Portland in Milwaukee, Oregon.
2: Mil- uh, Milwaukee,
1: high Oregon. School. It
3: was called LaSalle High School. It was a Christian Brothers High School. Ooh, did that mean you had to wear a suit? <laughs> Almost. We had uniforms. Uh, but uh, I went to, I was kept in Catholic school through a series of amazing plans by my mother throughout growing up. The, all, everyone in my family was.
2: Really? So Catholic um, through and through. Well, hopefully. There, I think th- things make sense in your poems now. That makes a lot of sense. See, all this banter that we have, even right. though it sounds like, you know, where did you go to high school? <laughs> How can that possibly uh, illuminate poet Michael Dickman for us? It does. It really does. People. Um, that's, and, and this is Michael Dickman, not Mike Dickman. If you Thank go you. on, if you Google him, do not be uh, mistaken. Who's
3: fine, but not he's me. <laughs> he's fine, a very
2: different poet. Yeah, right. And, and he's, uh, my, this Michael Dickman is also not into alchemy. Um, but anyway, uh, more of the introduction. Michael's here today to read um, some of his poems uh, that will be um, making up the book uh, titled The End of the West. Um, and this book will is going to be published next year, Michael. Yeah, late
3: next year, early two thousand
2: nine. Okay, all right. By Copper Canyon Press. By Copper Canyon Press. Um, yeah. A really great, a really great press. Yeah. Um, and so, and you're just back in town here in Ann Arbor, yep. um, setting up shop for a little while. You're exactly. just back from Provincetown. Yep. Uh, and uh, the
3: Fine Arts Work Center out in Provincetown.
2: Well, um, how was it? How was your How was your time there?
3: It was great. It was great. The uh, the Fine Arts Work Center is a not-for-profit uh, place out in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. It was started uh, in the mm, maybe early 70s, uh-huh. late 70s by um, artists, American artists, people like Robert Motherwell and um, and also some writers. Um, the amazing American poet Stanley Kunitz is attributed to having helped run the place and uh, also Alan Dugan, who's a genius was a genius poet also. And um, they have uh, artists and writers come out and you spend the winter in uh, the very tiny and beautiful and stark uh, province town and you just work.
2: And do you think it's important that it's the winter time because it's stark then, and and um, <laughs> to give th- depth uh, to your work? If you're I, don't,
3: <laughs> I don't think so, I think it's the um, it, it, I, any time out there is is great, and uh, certainly there are less distractions in uh, Provincetown um, in the winter than in the summer, and uh, so there's certainly um, you have more time to stare at the, your typewriter, your computer.
2: Did you bring a typewriter with you when?
3: I did not. I uh, I don't have a typewriter, um, and uh, so I just uh, used their computers. Okay, is the and place scrap pieces of paper
2: and little right? cocktail napkins, cocktail napkins, and the like? Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, um, so let's let's kind of wander through a little bit of your backstory then. Okay. Um, uh, so how did you get to Ann Arbor? Because usually, uh, well, not usually, but in the f- the few interviews that I've done, a lot of times I'm able to say. Back in town, um, had had an MFA from Michigan. Oh, yeah. and
3: <laughs> no, I was turned down by Michigan.
2: Uh, uh-huh. And so I didn't
3: get to go here. Ah, uh, uh, they're
2: ruining the day.
3: Which uh, actually was very, turned out very lucky for me. Where did um, you go? I ended up going to a, an amazing place um, called the uh, Michener Center for Writers at uh, the University of Texas in Austin, which uh, in my mind, um, partly because I went there and for lots of other reasons, is, uh, I think, the one of the best uh, programs in the country. It's very lucky, I think, if you can go there. It's a three-year program, fully funded with amazing people. And all you do is write. No teaching.
2: That sounds blissful. It's blissful. It's, uh, not, it's that, not that teaching is bad. <laughs> <coughs> not yet. But it's um, no, but yet, but to but focus it's pretty, on the work. Yeah, and, and, it's pretty amazing. And it also encourages, doesn't it, um, uh, having another, uh, like being, also writing plays while you're there. Yeah, like a, yeah
3: they ask you to do... Uh, two genres and so uh, mine was playwriting so you can do fiction and poetry or poetry and uh, playwriting or uh, screenwriting things like that.
2: did you did you bring any plays with you today I didn't a, no, uh, no, a radio no. play
3: <laughs> I, I should have we could have I could have written a radio play called interview with a young <laughs> writer or something. Uh, next time but it was a great it was a great place I was really lucky
2: So Austin has good memories. Did you go right from Portland to Austin? No, no. I lived
3: here. uh, I had friends out here, and uh, I just moved out here, and I worked as a cook in town. And I did that for a couple years and then uh, decided that I was tired of um, getting up so early every day and uh, so applied for this this program
2: why Um, why did you but why did you pick ann arbor just because you had very good dear friends that were here. yeah because the writing community here no no no, i I knew
3: nothing about the writing community it was only because of my connection with people who were already already here and um and it's a i really like it here it's a great town
2: and so Um, so you're a chef as well
3: yeah i work as a cook
2: yeah so cook um uh what other sort of because that sounds like one of those writer jobs like yeah. bartender um yeah. wait staff um, right what other that's sort all of odd jobs?
3: the uh the first job i had um i got when i was 12 turning 13 i worked under the counter for a, a butcher uh cleaning out uh, the butcher shop at the uh, end of the night i was connected to a tiny little grocery store and sometimes my my twin brother matthew who's also a, a poet he's yeah. an amazing writer um we both worked there, and uh, that was our, our first job.
2: At the butcher shop. At
3: the butcher shop. And it was connected to a grocery store, and sometimes we would bag groceries or do bottle returns or things like that. But mostly we were in a freezer, like, um, scraping out a um, like a Awful. beef grinding <laughs> machine. Yeah. <laughs> It was a pretty amazing thing to do at that age.
2: Yeah. Did you? Um, how did you come upon that? Was it a punishment? Like, no, was no, no, no. Were it?
3: Was, you... No, it wasn't a. Pun- it wasn't a punishment. I mean, was, you've
2: gone to Catholic school, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure there's were plenty of punishments along yeah, the way. Yeah, the
3: punishments were the punishments were in Catholic school. No, the um, the job was just needed. We all, uh, Matthew and I, both worked um, from eighth grade on to help pay bills and things like that. We were raised uh, by this amazing woman, uh, a single parent. And uh, my mother, and um, and so we were uh, not expected but needed at times to help out to pay bills and things. So that's what we did.
2: And, you just, and um, was um, the butcher shop down the just down the street from yeah, your you, home? Yeah,
3: yeah, you could walk. It was like a twenty-minute walk. It was a nice walk.
2: And um, and what yeah, what neighborhood did you grow the up? The
3: neighborhood in? is called Lentz. It's because your just, brother
2: writes about that. Yeah, yeah.
3: it's mm-hmm. a, historically it's a and still is a. Um, a very uh, struggling um, lower working-class neighborhood. Uh, it's one of the, historically in Portland, one of the two the most dangerous and crime-ridden neighborhoods in, in town, although you don't realize such things when you're growing up. <laughs> um, Cause but that it was seems the, normal? It just seems that? normal until you start, uh, like, At these Catholic schools, we would go for free to these schools. We didn't pay. And uh, my mother would do things like volunteer or things like that, and we would have to keep a certain, like, uh, very low grade average to stay. And uh, But then you would exchange stories about your neighborhood with your friends and then quickly realize that you lived in very different places. Also, sometimes they wouldn't be allowed to come over because of the neighborhood. Because of your neighborhood.
2: (laughs) Okay. And, uh,
3: you know, I don't blame them. It it wasn't the hottest place in the world. I love it, um, you know, but... uh, that's because I'm from there. <laughs>
2: okay, well we'll, uh, we'll take a short break and uh, we'll be we'll be right back to talk more with Michael Dickman. Welcome back, you're listening to the Living Writer Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm sitting here happily with Michael Dickman. Um, so we were talking about uh, where you where you grew up, mm-hmm. Michael, going back to the root of right. uh, and and it is it's a lot of there's a presence of um, your your presence of your past in your poems. So yeah. and, and you you'll read us a few of them today too, right? Absolutely. Um, but Lentz was a bit of a, a was a bit of a, a rough a rough neighborhood. It was growth. a very rough neighborhood. And yeah. and Oregon actually is one of the states where it's economically been uh, sort of on the the lower spectrum, uh, right for, yeah. for years. And yeah, we
3: absolutely. Especially when you get outside of uh, Portland, you know, people. I mean, people do this in almost any state. They often uh, think of the state as the as the sort of biggest city that's in it or the, the city that's doing the best. But once you leave Portland, um, you know, Oregon has a terrible history of, uh, um, you know, st- people who are starving and people who don't have any food and um, out in the country, you know, farmers who are falling
2: apart. You know, that's true, because actually, um, I've, I've been to, well, of course it's true, it's not like you're going to come on the radio and start lying about the, Oregon's These are all, history. These are all
3: I, I only lie about Oregon, it's the
2: only thing I lie about. <laughs> we will have documented facts <laughs> only, Michael, on the show. Um, but there was, there was a poor farm just um, just east uh, that that a McMenamin's, a company, bought up and, and uh, transformed yeah. into a bed and breakfast and golf course, right? Yeah. But it used to be a poor farm, and, and people... Uh, went there to maybe have a bite to eat and then uh, a sad end. Oh well, it's always cheerful. I always work in something cheerful. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this, this is nothing but cheer. inspirational. Yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> um, and so, so also, um, of one of your other jobs, you actually worked in the butcher shop. Yeah, and you were also in movies.
3: Yeah, that's a big jump. I had a few jobs before that, and then um, it's true that uh, both my brother and I. Uh, Well, you know, both my my brother and I were both uh, um, really big into baseball. And uh, we were very, very good. And uh, it was very exciting for everyone involved until we hit uh, puberty. And then uh, we couldn't walk downstairs. And and so then uh, we also couldn't uh, hit anything or field anything and quickly did not um, make the team. And so my mother put us in a... um, for something to do put us in like a local theater class for kids and so we did do a lot of theater uh growing up and then we ended up in doing a couple um uh, you know local movies and would uh, that
2: include the film blast that would include
3: the film blast yeah <laughs> which was uh, a beautiful um straight to video uh, movie where i uh come on screen steal someone's girlfriend and then get uh beat up for it quickly
2: and you're you're thinking just like high school yeah i thought like,
3: this is this is just like uh, going to the store in the morning in my neighborhood this is fine i can do this
2: <laughs> right. and then but then you actually w- were in like what was your biggest film
3: and then the the only moments. the the only other movie was uh this very bizarre thing where my brother and i were cast in a steven spielberg movie called minority report which uh <clears throat> i think is the best job i've ever had <laughs> And, uh, because you had your own
2: trailer or,
3: uh, because um... they give you in Hollywood, they give you loads of money for nothing. And, um, and so they would give us a lot of money and a lot of time. And, uh, my brother and I sat in our uh, beautiful, um, apartments and wrote poems, you know, the whole month that we were in Hollywood.
2: So when did you start writing poems though? Was it just that you had time on your hands? We both started
3: in, we both started in high school. Um, for uh, different reasons my brother started as something um to do uh while he was serving detention which was very constructive i just sat in detention and stared at the wall uh and i started um writing as i think a lot of people do which is to get people to make out with me which didn't work really but uh but it did get me interested in, in writing both my brother and i were Oh, horrible, horrible students! And so, anything that we were doing that was remotely connected to books was uh, sort of celebrated at home.
2: And um, would you write these poems and then hand them to the person? Oh, yeah, and no, Is that definitely. how it worked, yeah, yeah, yeah. or did you just then try to um, uh, 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 memorize them and say yeah, no, to them? Yeah, no, the no, whole? I would, g- I would
3: give it to them. I was awful. I would like, you know, well, first I would steal them basically from people like Pablo Neruda. I mean, just uh, blindly. Steal,
2: but that shows a remarkable intelligence right there.
3: Well, it shows who, something. Who to steal from for love <laughs> who poems? Can I steal from? And then and then give them to um, uh, the girl, and then uh, you know, be ignored.
2: Oh no! Uh, well, um, but then you weren't ignored for long because then you were um, you were in hollywood and yeah do you do you always do you feel like that's a story you never want to talk about again or was it is it kind of a nice story because sometimes
3: I, it's it's a nice story it's uh it's not something that will ever happen again and uh but it was um it was a it was a lot of fun and the here's the thing that here's the last thing that i'll say okay about, okay which is if you um if you Rent the movie, at the very end of the movie, there's a scene where one of the characters, three of the characters, my brother and I included, are in this cabin. And um, and we're all reading books. And the book that the, um, that the um, other character is reading, this woman, is reading is a book of poems by um, the great Nobel Prize winner Nellie Sachs, who was a a German Jew um, who uh, escaped the Holocaust and was one of the only two people along with Salon who wrote in German. And as a present to Steven Spielberg, my brother and I bought him a very nice first edition of this book. And um, we were about to shoot the scene. And then uh, he stopped everything and um, took the prop book away from this actor and had her hold this book by Nellie Sachs and just read one of the poems to herself. And when the camera pans back you can actually see nelly Sachs's face on the back of uh the book on screen and i so i thought that was really great you know bringing those poems to a movie by someone like Steven Spielberg who's worked so hard for right um, recognition of Holocaust. Uh, that's things.
2: that's wonderful. And that you were you and your brother Matthew were the reason yeah, that, was that book lucky. was in there. That's that's that is an amazing <laughs> that's an amazing story. Um so thank you for actually then giving some um some like a moral quality to me asking you about Hollywood sure. too. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate Anytime. it, Keep, keeping me honest here on yeah. the radio. Um, well, let's see. Um, shall we? Can we hear? You have many long long poems and yeah. um which i'm hoping we'll be able to hear some um is there one that's a it's a a bit shorter that we might hear before um our midpoint michael
3: yeah absolutely i could read a uh, um i have a a small poem and it's related to uh okay yeah and it's related to um the neighborhood that i grew up in it's called scary parents
2: oh that would be great okay
3: i didn't shoot heroin in the 8th grade because I was afraid of needles, and still am. My friends couldn't not do it. Black tar, a leather belt, and sunlight. Scary parents. They filled holes all afternoon. Then we went to the movies. The gods swam inside them, upstream, and through wild parties, and stayed up all night, under their tongues, between their toes, their stomachs all over their arms. Wings did not descend to wrap them up like babies, as promised. Still, there's a lot to pray to on earth. Everyone is still alive. If not here, then someplace else, climbing out of their arms, resting their heads. On what? No one is singing us to sleep. Ian broke his mother's nose because she burned the pancakes. She left hypodermics between the couch cushions for us to sit on.
2: Thank you, Michael. Sure. Um, So that's the home. That's the home front then. Well, that's the neighborhood. Like a slice of that.
3: Yeah, my brother and I and our little sister Elizabeth were very lucky because we didn't encounter any violence like this in our own home. But it was certainly in the homes of all of our friends um, in the neighborhood around us
2: and um which which reminds me well, it's I when I'm reading the poems uh, that that you sent me to read, Michael, um I feel like there's an element of uh quiet violence throughout all of them, and maybe we can if if you're up for it, maybe talk a little bit about that in our our second half um and maybe it's a quiet violence because it wasn't in your own home but it was mm-hmm. um it sort of surrounded you mm-hmm. a sure. little bit maybe um well let's see let's let's go ahead and we'll take a break and then we'll come back with michael dickman
1: i've been in this town so long Right
0: in the rain of the post That eventually brought her
1: down But she's still dancing in the night And afraid of what a doodle do in a town
2: Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show, if you're just tuning in on your radio dial. My name is T. Hetzel, and today we have Michael Dickman here reading some of his poems, and um, we're talking about his life um <laughs> which is really great uh you have you have friends but sometimes you don't know their their history or or pieces of their life I guess I know a little bit about you told one story about how you and a friend went into a convenience store once um oh, yeah want to want to lead us off with that one Michael that story
3: well sure like um I mean this story is just uh that was a story uh, also about the neighborhood and um and uh it was a story about um uh, you know the my friends in the neighborhood um were often in trouble as were their parents and uh the time that uh, t's talking about I walked into a convenience store with a loaded gun in my back pocket to steal candy bars and who knows what else and uh but those sorts of things were happening um, a lot in that neighborhood, and there wasn't um uh any Poems in the neighborhood, you know, there wasn't any, like, uh, there wasn't a community center anymore, really. There was one, but it was sort of falling apart. And uh, there was no theater, there was no sort of other outlets or anything
2: and you and then your mom had you in schools that were outside of the community. She had us
3: in schools that were outside of the community. Um the one year that we went to a school that was inside of the community it was a complete disaster and we were my brother and I were kicked out several times.
2: Like so that. you've had so sort of, so you've had this um this is now not an ad for <laughs> the the educational system, right? But no, 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 no. but but um but so you've had sort of this resistance to um, maybe enforced education that was being um, put upon you. But what, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, both, both of my brother and I, as I said, we were horrible uh, students. I think we were bright kids, but we were just really bad students. And, um, and I think both of us, I know for myself, I was very lucky to sort of find something in uh, poems that belonged to me and that did not belong to even an inspiring teacher in grade school or high school, but that was mine all by itself. And um, and it was also lucky that also my twin brother was finding a similar thing, and then both of us could go out, and um, as we did and find uh, poems and poets that we liked, we would go to bookstores, which was unheard of for us, and uh, try to search out these things. We would read um, you know for hours what hours
2: age hours. are you talking <clears throat> this about this is
3: this is high school this is late i mean like i didn't read this is like middle high school
2: but you had mentioned earlier that you had <clears throat> already found Naruto in high school because you were yeah, that using was, him exactly to so my woo. sophomore
3: year you know i, f- I bought a book by Naruto b- to impress a girl and uh i read uh it from cover to cover in two sittings and couldn't believe what was happening on the page it sounds very corny but it was very uh a very important sort of well, time
2: it changed you then y-
3: yeah and then i went and i read everything in english translation of neruda's um, at the same time that i was doing no reading for high school or turning any work in at uh, all yes um but it was very important and uh to have something that was that belonged to me to you you know yes to one's self alone. how
2: did how did you make then where did you go after neruda
3: After, after that, uh, you know, my brother was reading different people. He was reading people like Anne Sexton. And then we discovered um, this amazing poet, Charles Bukowski, um, who people give a real hard time to. Uh, But, you know, he's, he was an amazing writer. Maybe needed an editor, um but like so we read him, and then we would read uh people who were blurbing the back of the books and things like that and and then we found our way into people like Philip Levine and galway canal and and people like that
2: so so <clears> mostly <throat> would you say when you were younger, mostly? Mostly male poets and then Mo- except yeah, for Anne Sexton. Mostly
3: male poets, oh, okay. except for Anne Sexton and, and Sylvia Plath. Oh and, and Sylvia um, Plath. And right. then because they were very tough and cool. Yes. And because they had killed themselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so mostly mostly male male poets.
2: And um And so so that's sort of an education, well, a way of, uh, a personal education, like a way of finding knowledge that really people, teachers in schools are hoping to sort of ignite in in the students themselves. So you you managed to somehow do it on your own. And it's sort of a life thing now, right? Yeah, Uh,
3: no, definitely (laughs) uh, some sort of a life thing. uh, But it was very important in that time um, in high school and immediately after high school. In my mind is really... uh, sort of dear to me, um, just those quiet moments, finding these things out by myself and not being told or pointed or given assignments or things like that. I think it's very important.
2: That is, that's a bit of a miracle, isn't it? That is a miracle. Okay, Um, will you read for us, Michael? Uh,
3: Let's see, I'm going to read um, read a poem, I'm going to read one elegy and then I'm going to read, Poem about a painting. Super. Oh, that yes, good. yes. Uh, the first is an elegy to uh, my older brother, and um, the poem is called Dead Brother Superhero. You don't have to be afraid anymore. His super outfit is made out of handfuls of garbage blood and fastened together by stars, flying around the room like a mosquito drinking all the blood or whatever we have to save us who need to be saved. I whispered to the rescue and sat on the dead edge of my bed all night and all morning. My feet did not touch the floor. My heart raced. I counted my breath like small white sheep and pinned my eyes open and stared at the door. Any second now. Any second now. He saved my brain from its burning building. He stopped and started the bullet in my heart with his teeth. Just like that. He looked down from outer space through all the clouds, the birds dropping like weights. He looked out from the center of the earth through the fire he was becoming, his cape sweeping the floor. He stood in the doorway and closed his eyes. And so, uh,
2: I love that poem. Thanks. Thank you for (laughs) picking that one to read.
3: Um, This next poem is a poem called "Dance Night." It's about a series of paintings by um, a friend of mine who was also at the Fine Arts Work Center, named Stephen McClure. Um, You uh, won't—it doesn't matter—that none of us listening or talking right now can see these paintings, Um, but I'll tell you very quickly that they're very dark watercolors of people dancing at night. And uh, his series is called "Dance Night," and the title of this poem is also called "Dance Night." Dance Night Soon our parents will be home to put us to bed Spread their dark wings and kiss us goodnight An ice cube singing in their drinks They'll say our prayers and walk downstairs And lay the needle down inside the old record Open all the windows and open all the doors Rock the mosquitoes to sleep between the flower petals in the folds of your dress. Hike up your dress. The mosquitoes are going to hell. The all-black mosquito string band is screaming the empty bed blues, cakewalking babies, and hellish ways. Oh, you sweet mistreater, dance across the floor, mosquitoes hanging from your fingers, and open all the windows, and open all the doors. Who made your bed? Jesus did. He tucked in your sheets, he fluffed your pillow. Who walks on the water? Jesus does. On the tips of his shoes, waving his hands about. And catches all the fish? Jesus. With both hands, all the fish, all the whales, all the sharks. Who wrote the hell on Church Street Blues? Who dragged you from the back of a truck into the woods? Who did this to you? Jesus. Whose night is this? Jesus's night. Whose dogs? Jesus's. Jesus's dogs killing everything they see at the end of Jesus's leash. Again and again, he is the only answer for this world. Soon, our parents will be home to spread their dark wings and kiss us full of black light. Sitting up in our white beds, shining all night, waiting to fall asleep forever. Come and go with me, he said. Our feet are dirty, but we all have feet. We're children once more, and we all have feet, and we all have shoes, and we all have wings.
2: Thank you, Michael. Sure. I'd like to talk a little bit about the presence of family in in Great. your work. Um, and I it's it's interesting because I thought um by now surely we would have had a poem more that forefronts your mom mm. or 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 your father in light. Yeah. and um but but the parents appeared in in, in Dance Night and yeah. and your elegy was for your your older brother. Yeah. So so what is it um what is it like to have your family so present within almost each of the poems that that I've re- that you're writing?
3: Yeah. Well, it's uh it, you know on a um uh on one level it's very tricky. Um because um uh you know my parents are still around and uh, you know um my my grandfather isn't but my grandmother is and um all of my siblings are except for my older brother and um and if they want, uh, they can find some sort of access to these things. And um, But the thing to uh, remember um, is that uh, none of this stuff is uh, autobiography. And it's very difficult, I think, for people. It was when I started reading um, to remember that, I think, with poems. Like, um, you know, someone can write a novel about um, a... Uh, University of Michigan professor who mm, fools around with a student and drives a Datsun and um, his marriage has fallen apart. And that's a novel. And then you look at um, the person, you know, like uh, his bio. And he says he works at UM He fooled around with a student. He's got a Datsun in his marriage. And people are like, what a great novel. Fiction is amazing. But right. then, you you know, someone reads a poem where there's an I in it mm-hmm. or a family member and they automatically think that it's autobiography. The... Um, that's one sort of, uh, half answer to this thing. And then the other thing, um, is that at least for me, I have nowhere to start from except for my own life. And, um, I don't, uh, I try as much as possible not to use people. I hope that I'm not using family members or friends. Um, and, uh, but, uh, they are what I remember when I sit down to write, and um so they are sort of um uh the only starting point that I really have um are those people and then from there, you know clearly um m- my older brother probably isn't flying around in a cape, but um you know but we take these sorts of things from our lives and then expand on them in a piece of art, which is a poem
2: right, right. But the idea of your older brother flying around in the cape is very true, because it's a way of understanding, like the spirit Absolutely. spirituality. Yeah. So I guess when you say I understand how the eye isn't at all uh, doesn't especially in poems doesn't have to be the the eye of the poet. Um, but I would I would I have a problem understanding um, uh, the the the. The distance there because i i almost feel like um it, it must be the underlying truth of the story is is real right absolutely. is that, that what you're saying yeah, but yeah, not absolutely um but not in fact that your childhood kitchen was yellow
3: exactly yeah okay yeah for sure um do you uh would you want me to read a poem that has a family member another sure. one in it sure or yes, should we please, ju- just read. talk more
2: no please read please read another poem um
3: so uh, this one is called My Father Full of Light. and uh, I love this one. Oh, good. Thanks. Like, um, this is a, a poem about uh, um, as, as much as I can trying to remember something. I didn't grow up with my father, which um, for me was a lucky thing. But uh, this is me trying to remember something. My Father Full of Light. Tonight, the moths are beating themselves up against the screen door. It looks like smoke. So does the light inside his rings, his wristwatch. The blood swimming around in his face, enlightening blotches beneath his skin, like the residue of beets on a cutting board. Also emitted light. A blizzard of wings. He thinks God is going to clean everything up. Hands made from light and feathers moving us around dusting us off everything settling back into the warm colors of autumn instead of getting ground down into glass which I get the feeling diamond after diamond is what's really going to happen I could have whatever I wanted once a year whatever you want, it's on me coconut cream pies rotated slowly behind bright windows like the cities of heaven the register sang. Flies collected on our water glasses. My father, for a moment, was full of light. Men came and went. I knew our waiter was the son of someone.
2: Thank you, Michael. Sure. So that was recreating. Uh, w- so just to f- to go back to what we were saying. Yeah. Um. So you weren't sitting in, in a diner with your dad ever, but this was a way of getting to the underlying feeling of your father.
3: Yeah, like there's maybe a very tiny sliver of a childhood memory that has to do with some sort of a restaurant, mm-hmm. something about a birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, one thing uh, I think for a lot of writers, and it's certainly true of me, uh, maybe it's not true of a lot of writers, but uh, I want to remember things really 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 well and um and so um like i can't write after i have say a beer or something you know like a because all i want to do is remember something really really well and um uh through this memory and um through writing bring something out about it
2: Thank you. We'll take we'll take a short break here. You're listening to um, Michael Dickman's poetry and uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, we'll be right back.
0: Whiskey or God Gonna bring not bending my elbow or my knees. I'm going to drink until my conscience fades. Before I fall asleep, I'm going to say a prayer for a brighter day. Whiskey for God brings out After suffering through the night, not knowing if the dawn was gonna bring relief in sight, so whiskey or God is gonna bring me relief, believing or not, bending my elbows or my knees, I'm gonna drink until my. Just or fall i say a prayer for a Day. Whiskey or God bring salvation to me.
2: Whiskey or God. <laughs> Here we are back with Michael Dickman. Or both. Or <laughs> <We're> both. <laughs> All right, cheers. Um on the Living Writers Show. Um so so M- michael your poems are um uh, have an uh, they they use the landscape of the page in really interesting ways and i know we can't beam the vi- the poems out visually and um but i think it comes across how you read them as well yeah. so the so everyone listening can um can probably even sense that there's a word that's by itself on a line and that there's, um, larger pauses between moments in mm-hmm. the, in the poem. Um, is that, how did that happen when you sort of, uh, putting the weight on the words and, and using the space so much space around them?
3: It happened uh, um, like there's something, uh, maybe if you're listening, like, um, uh, often, a um, a, uh, a poem that we can all maybe imagine right now is one that's in a column you know and it's mm-hmm. uh, just like one space between each line it's a column and um uh and so the poem, the things that i'm reading have a lot of space between lines they have short lines and long lines and uh so keeping that in mind um the this came about for me i think just wanting to do something besides writing like be a painter or um where all the, these poems that I'm reading are uh, in a sequence, so they're like three sections or five sections or things like that, and um, which um, in my mind has a lot to do with uh, how much I like movies. And um, uh, uh, years ago, I read a, a, a brilliant, brilliant book called The Conversations, which is a book of interviews between the writer Michael Dante and the great film editor Walter Merch. Yes. And Merch in this book... Um, talks about um taking um uh, stills and uh, putting them up on a wall and moving them around and and then looking at them out of sequence because we don't as people understand the world in a straight narrative line you know like i'm right. I mean, like you know sitting here across from you now like i'm thinking about um uh, these, all these pages in front of us, but also there's um, posters for bands behind you. And I'm thinking, wow, I've never you know seen, listened to that band. And, and there are these guys behind a window looking at us and things like that. Right. So there's all of these things happening, and it's not a straight line. And um, so I started uh, taking, writing a poem in sections and then putting it up on a wall and moving it around to see if a different kind of story could come out of it um it sounds maybe fancier than it really is which is just kind of like messing around and finding something to do with your time when you can't sit down and write um but it is very important to me thinking about how a story is going to get told in a poem and then the space and how it looks on the page um many very very smart very good writers will tell you that this is ridiculous and you should not waste your time doing it um but it's very important to me and so um how things uh, look, because we look at something and we ha- it has an emotional quality, even if it's just typed up letters on a page, if that makes sense.
2: It does. And it's also, as you're also keeping it, um, <coughs> as you said, a physical object. When you're uh, you're printing out the pages or right. writing them out and then moving them maybe with tape or, sure. so, so it's very physical. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and th- so I think that's an important quality of
3: your work. Yeah. It's also good even, you know, just to get up from what you're doing and move around a room.
2: Some calisthenics. <laughs> Some and poetry, ex- little exercise. Right, for God's sakes, go to the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> Lift up the poetry book. Um, no, so with, so that. Do you feel like when you're moving the pieces of the poems around, that um, that you're keeping the sections that you believed were sections whole, and then or and then, but they're creating a new way of looking at it. Exactly. Or is new, creating, are new words coming in?
3: They're creating a new way of looking at it, and then certainly you. Um, inevitably end up doing more rewriting on those on those sections so it's not just it's not just a thing where you write uh the poem in five sections put it up on a wall put the first one last the second one third and then it's de- right it's, it's done. nothing but, so simplistic <laughs> yeah but you move i mean i move it around a lot and um and then uh you know see if something and sometimes it goes back to how it was Mm-hmm. if nothing interesting is happening
2: and and it's interesting that you say that there's sections but they're they're unmarked except with maybe an asterisk that's right they're or unmarked. extra space that's right, right and I, I really enjoy that too instead of like roman numeral one and yeah then...
3: my friend uh who i grew up writing with along with my brother carl adam Schick, who's an amazing uh poet lives on the west coast um he was always against uh numbers in a poem because um they weren't letters <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> so he never had like a, a time never. or a date or anything never, in no, there no numbers, or a... <laughs> just words oh that's kind of wonderful um that's a good idea, Carl. Right? Yeah, good j- good <laughs> job, uh, buddy. Um, would you Would you like to read another poem? For sure. Us? I'll,
3: read, uh, I'll read another poem. Um, and this poem has a lot of space on it, so you could try S- to imagine. S- so that. yeah. Um, so
2: yeah. Be the white space uh, in the, your mind. Be <laughs> the
3: white space in your mind. This is uh, this poem is called uh, Another Time, and um, there's a uh, quote by the great Polish poet Adam Zagajewski. Um, in the beginning of the poem um, he says I don't exist yet how fortunate I can hear everything another time the roaring 20s or your parents in love taffeta and gibsons your heart doesn't exist yet your eyes don't things were better and worse you never got laid and you couldn't kill anyone Your grandfather making his way down the hall, floating in amber. Ice on all the pine trees. Bright needles. Over and over the gentle sound of broken glass. Your mouth doesn't exist yet. Your teeth don't. You bite down on nothing. Darkness, when it got dark, and light, When it got light Stars visible for miles and miles Everywhere And all at once Your fingers don't exist yet Your arms don't Your grandmother gets her first period A drop of blood Rolling down the hallway forever Your throat doesn't exist yet Your tongue is nothing but sunlight Your stomach is still buried in the earth. Your intestines are invisible. Your parents in love. Somewhere, your parents are walking towards each other, the old neighborhood just starting. Soon, it will be time to listen again and begin to see again.
2: Thank you. Sure. Michael, how aware are you of reoccurring obsessions within your poems or images, like body parts, yeah. God, family, mm-hmm. certain uh, colors?
3: Very aware. Um, after uh, the poem is is done, is or or when it's in when I'm working on like a fiftieth draft or something, um, but not during. Um, and uh, but I do think it's lucky um, it's lucky to have obsessions if you're writing or if you're doing art of any kind. A lot of people, um, you know, uh, they say things like, uh, um, gosh, when are you going to stop writing about your father or stop whining about your ex wife or something in your novels or plays or poems or your paintings or whatever. But I think it's very lucky if you do have an obsession. Um, uh, because it um, will always sort of refill the sort of wellspring uh, for you, um, which is nice if what you want to do is make art.
2: I wonder if it's that that these also make them more of a part of a a series. Like this will, instead of being something like a a theme Mm -hmm. that some books have, but whereas these like even stars, glass, Mm -hmm. like these are reoccurring um, throughout the ones that I've, read yeah. and what you've just read now a, new, a yeah. new poem to me.
3: They they certainly can and maybe at their best they might have an echo to them as you go through a series of the poems or you know a few.
2: You... And I guess you can't know can you if these images will go through with you to the next um whatever yeah. comes next. Not you.
3: really. You know you can some people will make up rules, you know. And right. um, and do things like like that, which sometimes you might have to do because the tricky part is is um, tr- you don't want to turn your obsession into like a kicking dog or something or like a trick, uh, right? Yeah, you know, your, that you drag out. Yeah, yeah, you don't want it yeah. to be a spiel, and you don't want uh, you don't want to be sitting there and thinking, oh well, I'm stuck on this. How about um, something about um, stars and dad, and uh, <laughs> then oh now we're cooking,
1: uh,
3: and then keep going. So you want to be. You know, you want to be careful. And like I said, at least for me, at least right now, um, it's very, uh, very unconscious um, thing, but hopefully uh, not sloppy.
2: No, no, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way at all. Um, This has been I've so enjoyed this this conversation with you, Michael. Um, And we're drawing close to the end of our time. So, um. Thanks for coming to the show and reading your poems and Thanks. and I know you said it's 2009 perhaps Possibly
3: early 2009
2: early too so we'll just we'll have to but your poems will be out in the world in some other yeah, ways they're
3: they're out they're out there <laughs> so
2: yeah but don't be don't be fooled by like a couple of the other like yes n- the, um no, websites you know what you're getting yeah <laughs> um so so thanks for being here today hey, and and please do come back on the show to oh, to talk to. more about poetic ideas and um What else would you like to say, Michael
3: Decker? I just want to say uh, very quickly that uh, I love you, Duke, wherever you are.
2: Okay, we've got a a shout out there. and um, Well, thank you for listening today to The Living Writers Show. Um, Thanks to Chaz Barrett for being our stellar engineer, as always. Um, Thanks to those uh, listening and streaming in Seattle, Chicago, Florida, and... uh, the outer lying universe. And thank um, you T. <laughs> thank Thank you, Michael. Um, and uh, this is T Hetzel. Uh, until next time.
1: We crossed paths, the the I'm not
2: This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, the 27th of June, 2007. From KPFK in L.A., I'm Aura Bocado. The Senate continues wrangling over the immigration bill, while the legal status of an undocumented woman whose husband is missing in Iraq remains in limbo. Tony Blair steps down from power. We'll take a look at Britain's new leader, Gordon Brown. And the first U.S. Social Forum kicks off. We'll hear from Atlanta, Georgia on the building of a popular movement. Those stories